of God from Genesis, chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The word of God for the world. As noted, this is the last sermon in the series, uh, The Bright Side. Uh, today's message is going to focus on the role of hope and blessing that can arise out of suffering. My name is John Dormoy. I have not occupied this pulpit before in this particular place, so a brief word of introduction. Um, my primary occupation has been as a physician, but having been a member of this church for many years, uh, I watched a series of young people who grew up, grew up in this church uh, leave Hyde Park to uh, pursue a path in ministry. Many of them went to Duke University in the uh, Divinity School at Duke. Uh, and I actually decided at a much later stage in my life <laughs> uh, to pursue that same course. So in 2010, uh, my wife and I moved to Durham, North Carolina, spent three years, and uh, at, in 2013 left with a master's degree in divinity. In thinking about how I could best uh, bring those two things together, that is uh, a religion and spirituality with medicine, uh, the most appropriate thing, it seemed to me, uh, was to combine that with the care of those at end of life. So. Um, I took another medical fellowship uh, here at uh, USF in hospice and palliative medicine, and for the last six years, uh, that's been my professional uh, status, shall we say. So uh, when the subject comes up about uh, wrestling with God and suffering, um, I have seen a lot of suffering. I've had my own form of suffering, as everyone in this room has experienced at one time or another. Uh, but today, uh, the focus of what I'm going to say is all based on stories. Uh, the text that you just heard from Genesis is a story about Jacob's uh, struggling with God. Jacob had a lot of reasons to struggle with God that I'll get to in a bit. But when we use this word struggling, immediately 
uh, memories come to mind for each one of us about individual struggles that we've appreciated. A colleague of mine at Duke, uh, Ray Barfield, um, is a specialist in pediatric oncology as well as palliative care, and he's the, he runs the palliative care uh, uh, program for the pediatric hospital at Duke University. Uh, in addition to uh, his specialties in medicine, he uh, is a philosopher, a PhD in philosophy, and teaches in the Divinity School, uh, teaches a Christian philosophy in the Divinity School. I was particularly attracted to him when I considered this change of focus, shall we say, because uh, I don't ordinarily, uh, and still don't, <laughs> uh, speak a theological language. My language is mainly in medicine. So it gave me some comfort when I was going to embark on, a, on another degree at age 65 that it might be nice to have somebody there that kind of I could relate to. And uh, he, along with a couple of other physicians that happened to be on the faculty of the Divinity School, gave me a lot of comfort as I moved into something uh, entirely new for me. But Ray is a great storyteller. Um, and when he talks to people about telling a story, he says that with a story, there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end. And how you see the story or hear the story, even interpret the story, has a lot to do with when you come in to that continuum. I mean, if you're there from the beginning, lots of things make sense. If you come in in the middle or towards the end, you know, can be kind of difficult to know just where this story is going. But Ray shared a story with me that I'm then going to share with you about uh, a story in which he walked in in the middle, not being um, privy to what had happened before. Well, in medicine, uh, you know, it's a seven-day, 24-hour-a-day operation. So uh, we, someone has to be available at all times. And so um, we have uh, what we call in medicine a handoff. Uh, when the weekend comes, the physician who's been there through the week, uh, he has to prepare a brief summary of what the physician coming on duty is going to assume. Uh, so in this case, Ray comes on in the very middle of this story about this 16-year-old 16 16-year-old 16 boy who will now be uh, his responsibility. And the physician who's leaving in addition to describing the basic medical aspects of the situation, says, now you need to remember one thing that's very, very important here, and that is that this patient's mother calls all the shots. You don't say anything to this young man that is not approved by his mother. Well, it turns out that this young man um, suffers from severe muscular dystrophy, uh, he now has a failing heart. He's on multiple medications intravenously to sustain him uh, with his failing heart. Um, but um, it's very important, the mother says, you cannot, whatever you do, you don't say anything about the fact that he is dying. And indeed, he is dying. He's had multiple hospitalizations uh, over the many years. Um, so, well... This, this kind of contradicts the basic philosophy of palliative care, and that is, in, in palliative care, we want people, patients, and families to have a clear understanding of the medical aspects, and particularly the prognosis. I mean, what, what can we expect? Uh, 
when prognosis is limited, say limited, meaning say in weeks or months, um, that that's important for people to know and families to know to be able to make certain preparations uh, to say certain goodbyes that are very important. So here, here's a situation of a 16-year-old uh, whose mother does not want him to know that he's dying and therefore no preparations are, have been made and he's getting very close to the end of life. This would be something my friend Ray would have some difficulty with. So he said to the mother, well, with your permission, is it all right if I go in and speak to your son? Uh, well, she was accepting of that uh, as long as he understood the ground rules that had been laid out. So he goes in to see the, the young man who's sitting there in the bed like this. You know, you've all seen this. These young people have these games and they're playing. And the young man didn't look up. I mean, it's just another doctor. This guy's been in the hospital so many times he knows the routine and he's probably really tired of the routine. So he doesn't look up, he plays with his, uh, his device. And Ray says to him, um, well, your, your, mother, um, your mother seems to be awfully worried about certain things. What, what do you think's going on with her? Click, 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 he said. And he says very casually, she's worried about me dying. Really? Is this something you've talked to her about? Of course, you already knew the answer to that. Is this something you've talked to her about? Oh, no. No, no. She doesn't want to talk about that. So the other big question we ask people that are approaching end of life is to try to define those things that are really important to them, that they really want to be sure they do, or things they want to see, or places they want to go, or whatever. So Ray says to this young man, well, what what is the most important thing for you right now? And he says, I want to go home. He's been in the hospital probably a good part of his life with this terrible disease. <clears throat> so that's a big challenge. Somebody's on all these drugs, got all these drips and infusion pumps and all this sort of thing. So he goes out and meets with the mother and says, well, this is what he said. He says, you're worried because he's dying. Well, she was pretty taken aback, and, and Ray suggested, you need, to go, you need to go in and talk to him a while. So she went in and spent an hour or more, and, and as she came out, uh, she said, I want to take him home. So this son and mother, they were having this choreographed dance, right? around this big elephant in the room that's always there in these kinds of situations. Denial. Don't want to approach it. Don't want to even think about it. But they made all these arrangements in spite of the difficulties, were able to move him home. A few days later, he died peacefully. So the question comes then, how do you make the bright side out of this? How do you deal with death and turn this in to something bright or to a blessing? Well, let's look at another story, and that's the story of Jacob that you just heard read from Genesis. It's a very important story in the Jewish tradition because it involves both seed and land. Uh, after Abraham and Isaac, Jacob was the one that was going to uh, lead 
the, uh, the chosen people into the promised land, a very important uh, part of the Jewish history. In fact, um, Jacob was the most unlikely character to be that sort of lead person. Jacob was born as a twin, if you remember, the twin of uh, his twin brother Esau. Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob turned out to be very manipulative and deceitful. If you recall that story earlier in the Bible, uh, Jacob tricked his father into giving him, Jacob, the birthright that was rightfully Esau's. And in addition, he also deceitfully got his father's blessing that was also really uh, should have gone to Esau. So there was a, a severe adversarial relationship between these uh, twin brothers based on the deceitfulness of Jacob. So as I say, Jacob wasn't really uh, a sterling person to be thinking about, about in this uh, very, very important position. So that part of the story is the beginning of the story. The middle of the story is what we've heard just read from the 32nd chapter of, uh, of Genesis. So Jacob had labeled, labored uh, quite a number of years with his father-in-law Laban and had acquired a lot of what we would call property in the sense of animals. He acquired several wives, he had 11 children. Uh, he'd become very successful. And so it was time for him to leave his father-in-law and return to his homeland. Uh, so he gathered all of his uh, family together and all of his animals, and they began this journey. And they reached the river Jabbok. And uh, Jacob took all of his family to the other side uh, and got them settled. And then he returned across the river to be alone. And why would he be alone? Well, he was really worried about his brother Esau coming to uh, exact revenge on, on him. So he, uh, he was alone on the other side of the river. And then the Bible tells us, as you've heard, that um, uh, he wrestled with God all night. Now, um, in the Bible, it doesn't initially say that that's God. It says it's a man, and then there's, then there's the idea it might be an angel. In fact, if you go to Google Images and put in Jacob wrestles with God, you'll see dozens of portrayals of what different artists have thought this might have looked like, this struggle with God. Very interesting images. Uh, but this struggle lasted throughout the night, the Bible says. And towards the, towards the morning, um, God wants to know Jacob's name. And... Uh, because names are very, very important um, uh, in our history. And so Jacob said, finally says, you know, my name is Jacob. And at that point, God says, no, uh, your name will be changed to Israel. And Israel means one who has struggled with God. That's where the word Israel comes from. And that you will then lead the uh, Hebrew people into the promised land. So... Jacob st struggled persistently and with great tenacity, and he ultimately received a blessing from God because of this persistence and tenacity. 
So he rightly this time earned a blessing as opposed to the deceitful way in which he received a blessing from his father. Life, our lives, are full of struggles. The mother that I depicted in this story that Ray shared with me, she was suffering from anticipatory grief and loss. It's not possible for me, and probably for a few of you, to imagine what that sort of suffering is like. Uh, fortunately, I've not had to experience that. Some of you may have. Was she struggling with questions for God? Like, why does my son, son have to suffer and die? These are common questions in palliative care that happen often. Why does an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God allow such suffering? We call that spiritual suffering. And it's just as real a form of suffering as physical suffering. Where is the blessing for this woman? The blessing for her, I would contend, came when she and her son faced the reality as it existed. Both parties understood that death was very close, but they had chosen, particularly the mother, to not address this. Addressing it, taking him home, gathering the family, uh, being there, sharing with him uh, in his last days, did afford all of them a sense of peace. This is very similar to a book uh, that, that I read also while I was at Duke that I, I recall that so, so, <coughs> so similar to this uh, message, and that is the, uh, Peter DeVries wrote a book called The Blood of the Lamb. And it's autobiographical. This was his daughter who suffered from childhood leukemia. She, like this young man, had had multiple hospitalizations because of leukemia her leukemia, needing chemotherapy, needing blood transfusions, and all the things that go with these terrible illnesses. Um, father and daughter had never talked about uh, the seriousness of this, had never talked about death, until um, the father realized that all of the children in the children's unit, they talked about death all the time. They saw it all the time. They saw their friends who came to the hospital and died in the hospital. They knew a lot about death, but she and her father had never talked about it. When they finally were able to talk about it, uh, it too afforded them a certain level of peace. Life is full of struggles. Everyone in this room is familiar with struggles. Jacob struggled with God and got a blessing, but as the scripture says, he also left with a permanent limp to remind him forever about the consequences of struggle. The mother's blessing was that she had been honest and was able to acknowledge the reality of, of her son's impending death. She too carries something for the rest of her life in the form of loss forever. So where's the bright side of this? How do, we, how do we sugarcoat this and make this 
look okay in the face of these sufferings? Well, the bright side comes out with the realization we have the assurance that God is with us in all the struggles of life. Hope truly does spring eternal. It's the confidence that the Spirit of God will always be present to provide strength, courage, and comfort despite the circumstances. But like Jacob, a limp may persist despite the blessings. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, our human memories store the struggles of our lives. Help us to remember that your love is always present in both times of struggle and times of joy. May we draw upon the vast resources of strength, courage, and comfort that you so richly share. Help us to see the blessings from which we are blinded by our own weakness and doubt. Grant us perseverance and resiliency in our struggles and thankfulness and gratitude for our many blessings. Amen.